You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Very Madison multiply ish thus far because it's been Houston and James and then me. But we promise, uh, I think it's next week is Nate and then it's Casey or the other way around. But um, basically, we, we share preaching among our three churches that are in our, our network together. It's just a way for us to, to get to know and engage with the other churches and for you to remember that we're a church planting church and that that's what we're all about. It's part of our DNA. And so, um, just so you know, that's what we're doing. And we're in this series in Romans chapter 12. And um, different selections in Romans chapter 12. And Laurel read our scripture for this morning, starting in verse 17 of Romans 12. All right? So let's open up to Romans 12, starting in verse 17. And I'm just going to read it again, just for the sake of context, okay? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, before we dive into this, it's really important. You hear me say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again this morning. We have to read our Bibles in context, right? So what's the broader context that this verse finds itself in? Well, it's the whole book of Romans, okay? And the book of Romans has a very particular arrangement, okay? I'm going to give you a 30-second overview of the book of Romans. Verses, or sorry, chapters 1 through 11 is Paul giving the most explicit gospel presentation that you will find in the Bible. That's chapters 1 through 11, Okay? Jesus died to save sinners of whom we all are. And salvation is a gift, not earned, but simply received by faith. When we trust Jesus' work on the cross that actually happened in history and his resurrection that actually happened in history, and all of that is sufficient to make us right with God, the God of the universe, and enables us to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. And as you trust this news of what has happened in history, what happens? Well, that has implications for our lives, right? So track with me. Romans 1 through 11, the chapters, a lot of words, a lot of chapters, right? It's this is the gospel, and then 12 through 16, 16 books in the, in the uh, 16 chapters in the book of Romans, 12 through 16 is the implications of the gospel, all right? And that's where we find our text for today. 
So I want us to remember this. It's very, very important to remember this so that we can stay gospel-centered with what we're going to talk about this morning. It would be very easy to hear this text this morning that's, that's framed in the form of a command, okay? It'd be very, to, very easy to hear this text and go, man, I got to get to work. This is what God wants for me, so I'm going to achieve it. And that's how I'm going to make God love me. And that's how I'm going to try to earn my salvation. That's how I'm going to try to welcome myself into God's kingdom. But that's not the structure of the book of Romans. This text finds itself after this gospel presentation, right? Paul's not saying hurry up and do these things that I'm writing about or else. That is not, listen to me, that's not biblical obedience. That's not the motivation for biblical obedience. What he's saying is, given the context of Romans 1 through 11, this is the gospel that you have believed, ancient church in Rome, present-day church in Madison. If you have believed this, since you believe these glorious truths of the gospel... Since you have now a new identity in Christ, since you have trusted Jesus and his work on the cross and resurrection for you now, this is who you are. So let's be who we are. See? Romans 12 and all of these commands that we see it is basically just the picture of who we are called to be in light of our identity in Christ. It's nothing to achieve. It's the way that you live because Jesus has achieved everything for you and you've simply received it and now you're a new person. So we're going to live like it. You feel that? Nothing to achieve. It's been achieved. So live in light of it. It's not this exhausting treadmill of trying to hurry up and make myself acceptable to God or else fear-based all that. It's like, no, 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 no. This is who you are now. This is your identity, so now we're going to live in light of it. It's because God loves you, demonstrated through the cross, that you want to live a life that trusts his word and want to follow how he says to live, okay? There's a thousand different ways we could look, I could describe this, but it's very important for us to get this cleared up this morning, or else this text can just be straight legalism, and all of our hearts are prone to that. Right? I'm going to manage my own salvation through my obedience. And I'm just going to manipulate God into liking me because of how well I obey. That is the opposite of the gospel. You need the gospel because you can't obey enough. This is the essence of, of what it means to grow in Christ. Be who God says you are because of his work for you in the gospel that you trust. Let me say that again. Super important. Be who God says you are because of his work for you in the gospel that you trust. All right? All right. Let's dive into our text now. I know a lot of you have heard... <clears throat> The phrase, a cycle of revenge. A cycle of revenge. We probably all kind of know what that means. It's, it's very, tragically, it's very common in our world today. You could think of 
the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. On and on and on and on. You bomb us, we bomb you. You bomb us, we bomb you. You can see it in gang warfare in major cities across our country. You kill our guy, we kill your guy. And on it goes. Because making peace, some would think, trying to make peace makes you look weak. Some cultures would even say that it's shameful to try to make peace if you've been harmed. You see this in, in warring factions of drug cartels in Mexico or South America. It's just a cycle of revenge that goes on and on and on until, I mean, in theory, everyone's just dead. So why do we do this as human beings? Why are we prone to perpetuate cycles of revenge? Like, I think if we're all honest, I can speak for myself here, like, I know the revenge impulse is very strong in my heart. If we're honest, I think everybody can say that. Like, this isn't something that we train ourselves to do. It just is, right? Like, watch your kids when they're little. Parents, you with me? Like, Kim and I, four kids, we never once had this conversation with our, with our kids, okay? Never once. All right, kids, gather around. Mom and dad have something really important to share with you. Here's the deal. I want to teach you a very important lesson. If your big brother or sister hits you, here's what I want you to do. Hit them back hard, right? That, didn't ne- that never happened in our home. They don't need to be taught that. It just is, right? It's the human heart that comes out. You see it in a three-year-old. It's just fallen human nature. You hit me, I hit back. The revenge impulse is automatic. I know it is in my heart. It just is there, right? You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. But the question we have this morning is what worldview can squash the revenge impulse. What worldview can squash the revenge impulse? And the Bible makes the claim that we're going to see this morning that God's people who have a vision of the mercy of the cross and resurrection are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit to squash the revenge impulse. Let's take a look. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All right, so look at the text with me. Give thought to do what is, what's the word he uses? He uses the word honorable. So Paul has something honorable in mind, Paul seems to think that what is honorable for God's people, the church, ancient church in Rome, this letter is originally written to, or us today in Madison, is to what? Honorable equals what? What does it say? So far as it depends on you, live peaceably. So make a connection. Honorable means pursuing peace. That's what Paul's saying. A life that is honorable is one that's going to pursue peace, if at all possible. Verse 18, right? 
Like, don't we need to hear this more than ever in a culture that is just fractured along these black and white lines that perpetuate a demonization of one another, right? And, and sadly, it seems like some of us that name the name of Christ just contribute to that. Win at all costs. I don't care about peace. It's win at all costs. Paul seems to think, though, that peace is not always possible. See that in verse 18? If possible, it's a conditional, assuming it's not always possible. Tragically, I know the pain of this. You know the pain of this. All right, the text makes provision for that. But he's just saying, if at all possible, Christians, man, let's lean into peace at every turn, okay? Let's look for that peaceful way out at every turn if we can. Because this is what's honorable, In the sight of all, in the sight of all, what does that imply? That implies people are watching us, right? People are watching us. Now, all of this seems pretty straightforward, right? If if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with Christianity. But here's the challenge. Here's the problem. This sounds pretty good in the abstract, Right? But let's step into real life for many of us when it comes to this text. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now here's the challenge. Here's the problem. Here's the angst. Here's the tension. Many of us, and I know a lot of your stories, have been brutalized, have suffered, have been mistreated so deeply that that revenge impulse runs very, very deep. And for most of us, that's probably not going to look like physical violence. But maybe it looks like a deep, seething bitterness. Or maybe it looks like, like a deep, insurmountable cynicism or for me like it can be a desire to just hold everybody like right here like I've been hurt in relationships so it's like no I'm just gonna put the walls up right because if I've been burned in relationships then I don't want to really have any more relationships like that, right? So what are we to make of this text? Now first, remember, desiring justice is not wrong, right? Like our God is a God of justice. And the atrocities that have happened in your life and that happen in our world every single day, they cry out for justice, right? Like if you're a victim of something horrific, how in the world are we to pursue peace when peace feels like chaos, feels like peeling my skin off? Like does, that, does this text mean that if I've been a victim 
if I've been brutalized, then I just become a doormat? I'm just going to be a doormat if I can't take matters in my own hands. Does that mean I just become superficial and try to pretend everything is, is, is okay when it's not? Does it mean that if I'm physically abused by my husband, that I just take it and don't try to do something about it? In the name of making peace? No. Okay? Listen to me very, very closely here. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of where human justice and, and a human justice system interacts with this text, okay? That's another sermon, very important sermon. And what's in view here is not really that issue. What is in view here is seeking to break the cycle of revenge. That is very, a very real temptation when we come to the end, when you hit your head on that ceiling of what you can actually manage and accomplish through human means, that cycle of revenge comes very, very real. But this next verse, verse 19, it helps us so much. It helps us so much, right? Helps us in our angst and turmoil and suffering. Look at verse 19. And also look at the, the word repay in verse 17. Okay? I think there's, there's a parallelism here. Repaying and the word avenge in, in, in verse 19. Repay and avenge. We're not supposed to repay evil for evil, right? Another way to say it would be verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what does it mean to avenge? Well, it means to take vengeance. Well, what does it mean to take vengeance? I think we all kind of intuitively know what it means, but let me just give you the dictionary definition to make it clear. To take vengeance or to avenge yourself is, to inf is the infliction of injury harm, humiliation, or the like on a person by another who has been harmed by that person. Violent revenge. So what does it mean to avenge? That, that, that God says, don't do it. It means to return the evil you have received from someone by giving them the same thing back. You hit me, I hit back harder. You steal from me, I steal from you. You harm me, I harm you in the exact same way. So what is God saying? God is saying, my people have the power to break the cycle of revenge. Like, don't try to right the scales as you see fit. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. This is what God defines as honorable. And the power to do this is verse 19. This promise is, is, is a comfort to us. God will take care of it. Look at what it says. Leave it to the wrath of God, for vengeance is mine. Implication, it's not ours. God says it's his. And what does he say? I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord says, I've got it. You don't have to manage it. I will handle it. 
I had a really painful conversation this week with a friend. <clears throat> and I got together with this person, and this person explained to me, which was very, very shocking because this person was um, very close to myself and our family for many years before they moved away. I had a conversation with this person, and this person explained to me that they don't think that they're a Christian anymore. And for me, this was kind of crazy because in some ways we were arm in arm in ministry um, for a period of my life. And we got to talking and there were lots of reasons that were intellectual. There were reasons that were experiential and emotional. But one of the intellectual reasons that this person gave me is this person has traveled a lot all over the world. And when you've traveled outside of Madison in certain parts of the world, you can see extreme suffering. And you can see people that have been brutalized. And there's no justice system whatsoever. The government is just collapsed. And you can think of places like Haiti or, or Somalia or Liberia or, you know, you name it. It's just chaos reigns and people are brutalized. And this person says to me, so you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to tell this person who's been brutalized with no hope of justice ever that God loves them? Like, where is God in the midst of this person's extreme suffering? Now, this is not a new question. Where is God in the midst of suffering? And that's not, we're not going to tackle that this morning. But I do want us to look at it from this angle. There's a lot I could say in response to that. But here's kind of what I said to my friend. Well, let's consider a different message that if God does not exist, and he's not worthy to be trusted, here's what you're kind of forced to say to that person. You, you could say, well, you've suffered, and I'm really sorry about that. But honestly, if there's no God, you know, we're subjected to an evolutionary worldview. And what does that say? It says the strong eat the weak. Right? That's just the way that nature works. It's how, you know, turn on planet Earth on Netflix. The strong eat the weak. And if we're just complex animals, wouldn't that be normal? That the strong would eat the weak? And tragically, you find yourself to be one of the weak ones. But that's really how the world works. And ultimately, all of our existence is just a cosmic accident with no purpose, no ultimate purpose. Someday the sun's going to burn out and we'll all be gone and it'll be over. So yeah, you've suffered, but what does it really matter? It doesn't mean anything. No, one's, no one is out there to actually do anything about it. There's no guarantee that anyone can solve the horrific things that have been done to you. I mean, it's crass, but this is true. Life sucks for some people, and you happen to be one of those. Like, do your best. Try to, try to make the best of it. 
but ultimately none of this matters, right? There's nobody out there to hear us, to make things right. You can try to create meaning for yourself, but we all die and that's it. Lights go off, boom, we're, we're done, game over. You probably never get justice. You could try, but given this government that you live in in this country, it's, it's not gonna happen. Now, you would never say it that way to somebody who's suffering in extreme ways, but the truth still remains. That's what you're left with. There's no God, right? No ultimate justice, no riding of the scales. Just, just do your best, I guess, you know? Anesthetize the pain somehow, maybe? Like, that's consistent atheism. So yeah, I admit, it's hard. Where is God in the midst of my darkness? But the alternative is even worse in my view. But you can see then why people find themselves in this toxic cycle of revenge. If there's no ultimate arbiter of justice, there's no one out there, there's no capital A, arbiter of justice, then you, you can see how some people would feel like they have to take matters into their own hands. But see, God promises, his promises give us another way that, and that's what we find here. This is what I would say if they could bear it to that person who suffered horribly. Beloved, don't avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, meaning this is God's word and it's a promise. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Like you don't have to handle it. It will be handled. And God's handling of us as the eternal God and creator of all is going to be way better and more just than any created finite and limited person could ever bring about. But let's be honest about the pain point of this verse. What's the pain point of this verse? For you and your suffering, for that person in their suffering, for me and my suffering. The pain point is the fact that this is in the future tense. Look at what it says. It's not present tense, it's future tense. I will repay Lord, don't you see how brutally I've been hurt and suffered? How can you ask me to wait, Lord? How come this text is in the future and doesn't say that I will repay immediately after it happens? Like, that's what we want, right? And, and hear me, like it would be recklessly irresponsible for me to speculate about the specifics of your situation. And why is it? that God asks us to wait for him? Like the Bible does give us general principles for why we wait. The Bible says a lot about suffering, but one thing it doesn't say is, here's a concrete, satisfying explanation for why you have suffered the way you have. It doesn't climb into our details like that. 
And it's the reason why many people forsake faith in God because they just can't see how God could be good in light of all the suffering in the world. But God's word stands this morning and I just want to plead with you to see it and believe it. He's saying there's coming a day when, there's coming a day when, there's coming a day when, what does it say? I will repay. I will make it right. The scales of justice will finally be balanced. And and let's just pray together as a church and in our city groups that this would be enough for us to trust him. So so, so what have we seen here this morning? We've seen that we are tempted to take matters into our own hands, but what God says is what's honorable is to pursue peace at every turn, if possible. What, What are the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. And God promises to balance the scales one day. He will balance the scales one day. I want to close by seeing Jesus in this text. Let's look at verse 20. Now Paul writes about the opposite. What's the word he uses? To the contrary, this is the positive side. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Does this text not not show us Jesus? Right? You see Jesus in this text? Did Jesus not do the opposite of revenge? Like Pilate came to Jesus at the end of Jesus' life and said, don't you know I have authority to like take your life? And Jesus said, honestly, Pilate, you don't have any authority over me. I could call 10 legions of angels right now and it'd be over. But Jesus had peacemaking in view. Did he not do the opposite of revenge when he laid down his life for sinners? He took it upon himself. What does the Bible say? First Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He himself bore our sins. Like, that's not justice, that's mercy. By his wounds, not my wounds, his wounds, I've been healed. That's not justice, that's mercy. See, Jesus embodied this in his death for us, right? It's overcoming evil with good. See, Jesus is our forerunner in this text Jesus accomplished this in his death and his resurrection. Like, see the gospel, the beauty of the gospel in this. See, the same Jesus that is risen from the dead now lives in us by his spirit as we're united to him. And then he gives us the power to do the same. As you ask him for it in prayer, and as you meditate, it, meditate on it in, in his word, 
Like if God forgives my sin in this way, I can pour myself out too to those who don't deserve it. Like I've tasted of extreme mercy so I can then be a giver of extreme mercy. Now, no one says this will be easy or comfortable, right? Like, does the cross look easy or comfortable? Like, if any pastor promised you that, easy and comfortable when it comes to Christian life, like, you've been lied to, or that pastor's just divorced from reality, Like, it's not easy or comfortable, but I know it's really, really good. Like, Jesus brought about peace by taking the hit so we could be people of peace and and take the hit too at times and not continue the cycle of revenge, but the resurrection assures us that he will return and he will make all things right. And make no mistake, God will make all things right. But today we look to Jesus and leave to the the wrath of God and God alone. We look to Jesus on the cross and walk with him in his suffering as we seek to bring peace and kindness to those who have harmed us. Let me just close with this. I think you guys get the point of the text. But I know that some of us are still in process, right? Like for some of us, the truth of this is unbearably weighty in light of what you are currently going through or have gone through, right? It's too raw, it's too soon, and we get that. I think God gets that. There's provision for that. But, but what I would say is, as, as best as you can, Look to the God who loves you and has given you his word, and let's just try to head in that direction. It doesn't have to be fast. We don't have to be impatient with one another, but let's just believe God's promises together, and let's just start heading in that direction. It might take some time, and that's okay. It's okay. Let's just bring that to the Lord and be willing to be honest with the Lord in that. Lord, I'm struggling with this text in light of what I've experienced and just ask for his help. He loves to answer prayers like that. May the Lord have mercy on us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for how it guides us and it helps us. Father, for those in the room that, you know, this feels just like a weight, would you, you say that your burden is light. Lord, would you bring that about? Would you bring that about? Father, we thank you that we can trust you, that because of your resurrection from the dead, proving your, wor- your work and your words to be true, that we can trust this promise that you will make things right. Help us to be people of peace as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.